Y'all ready to get started? Amen. So it's certainly good to be back with you guys. We're going to cover chapter 27 and chapter 28 tonight, which means next Monday we will complete 1 Chronicles and enter into 2 Chronicles, originally, of course, one book. Uh, Our title tonight for you uh, note takers is Divisions of the Willing and Able. So I understand y'all had a phenomenal meeting last week. Yeah, we did. Yeah. From First Chronicles 26, you learned that you are to progress from able men to capable men and arrive at being very capable men. Yeah. Amen. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Oh, yeah. uh, this draws to my mind Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. One of the greatest and uh, most exciting achievements that I've seen in my lifetime is that there's a biblical culture here that is growing and truthful Loving speech that is aimed at maturing the body of Christ. I hear a lot of supposed loving speech everywhere, but it's not aimed at maturing the body of Christ, so I don't consider it very loving. It's loving when it causes us to grow up. Last week you also learned that there were two treasuries in the house of God. One was for ordinary offerings, and the other was for the spoils of war. Come on. The spoils of war that were won by very capable men who dedicated their lives to the establishment of the temple of God on earth. That draws to mind 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you have come to him, The living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And it blesses me to see supernaturally capable men winning in a war effort and being built into a house that God delights to dwell in by His Spirit. That's the goal, isn't it? That's the goal, isn't it? As a final note of review, I've heard that a few of us are struggling through sickness. I think it'd be good for us all to take a second and reflect on teaching that emanated from 1 Chronicles 26, 28, Regarding the men who were able to contribute to the war chest. Men that built the habitation, the temple of God on earth. When we looked at this, it was of course derived from men's names who contributed to that war chest. Having heard from God 
We asked for the nations. We bowed down to the Father of light. Jehovah has become my Father. In the tribulations of the Lord, I will end up in shalom. Amen. What you're going through is normal. You cannot study about Rephaim. You cannot study about spiritual hygiene. You cannot spar with the enemy and expect to come away unscathed. But you can expect to come away victorious. Every person in here is or should be in here because we have heard from God. We are asking for His kingship in our lives. We bow down only to a Father of light. He has become very personally our Father. And we are dedicated to the tribulations that come to us in the Lord as we establish His kingdom and dominion and presence on the earth as we bring shalom. So we didn't expect to come away unscathed, did we? No. No. I want us to focus on a prayer that Paul prayed. And then we are going to pray and we're going to get healed. That's what's going to happen. Okay, We don't have to take it lying down. You don't have to sit back and wonder. And you surely don't have to call an ambulance. We need to call on the name of the Lord. Amen. The prayer that I'd like to focus on comes from Colossians 1.10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Anybody in here want a life worthy of the Lord? Hallelujah. That life will never be free from tribulation. But because you consider the Lord worthy of the tribulation, your life becomes a worthy offering to Him. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you might have great... What's that word? Endurance. I couldn't hear you, Chloe. What's that word? Endurance. Endurance. You can't have great endurance if you don't have tribulation. His power comes in a response to your will to carry on. His power comes in response to you looking sickness and tribulation in the faith and saying, did you think that would stop me? Come on. His power will show up for those that endure. It will also give us patience. It's to a man's patience and glory that he overlook an offense, even an offense of sickness. Verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints, in the kingdom of light. Are you in that kingdom? Yes. Have you tasted of the heavenly age? Yes. Then stand to your feet and let's pray and break the back of this sickness that is trying to attack our church. Father, we come before you. We delight in the fact that you are our Father and we are your Son. Lord, we thank you for the bread that comes from the children's table. We thank you for the healing that is ours. Lord, in your
your name. In the name of Jesus Christ, we put COVID under our feet. In your name, we stand against every power that would seek to discourage your church. In your name, we declare healing that is ours. Father, we thank you that you have power over every work of the enemy and you have given that power to us. Lord, we thank you for the healing that is ours in the name of Jesus Christ. We call out to you on behalf of those that are in the hospital. Lord, we cry out to you for Daniel and we say, raise that righteous man up. We call out to you for those that are sick in their body now. And we say you will defeat that enemy inside of them as they trust you. Father, we thank you that we are not orphans, but we are your children. And the healing of the kingdom is ours in the name of Jesus. Now, church, when you say amen, that needs to be a firmly resolute statement in you that you believe what was just said. That you are standing on what was just said. And you do not give in. You do not bow a knee and you do not back up. Not for any reason. Or you have shown the enemy what it takes to defeat your trust. As for me and my household, we simply say no. We will serve the Lord. We are not serving our health. We are not serving popular opinion. We are not serving the elemental spirits of wisdom in this world. Take your stand and God will stand inside of you. We will win. Spread that message. No more talk of how bad everything is. No more talk of how many people have been sick. Speak the healing word of God and take your stand. Amen? 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 Amen. Amen. Let's get into this word tonight. You know what our custom is. We imported a sexy grandma all the way from Chicago. Literally the only one that I could find in the entire state. She's going to read to us all of chapter 27. And not satisfied to stop there with an insatiable desire for the scripture. She's going to read to us all of chapter 28. And tonight we're going to be edified in our souls. We're going to be healed in our bodies. And we're going to take that to our brothers and sisters who are weak and struggling. Because we will win and we will do it together. Y'all want Miss Jen to read? Tell her. Somebody say Miss Jen, read. This is the list of the Israelites, heads of families, commanders of thousands, and commanders of hundreds, and their officers, who served the king in all that concerned the army divisions that were on duty month by month throughout the year. Each division consisted of 24,000 men. In charge of the first division for the first month was Joshavim, son of Zabadel. There was 24,000 men in his division. He was a descendant of Perez and chief of all the army officers in the first month. In charge of the divisions for the second month was Dodai, the Ahuahite. Miklok was the leader of of the divisions. There were 24,000 men in his division. The third army army commander for the third month was Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, the priest. 
He was chief, and there were 24,000 men in his division. This was Benaiah, who was a mighty man among the 30, and was over the 30. His son, Amizadad, was in charge of the divisions. The fourth, for the fourth month was Asahel, the brother of Joab. Joab, his son, Zebediah, was his successor. There were 24,000 men in his division. The fifth, for the fifth month was the commander Shamuth, the Israelite. There were 24,000 men in his division. The sixth, for the sixth month, was Ira, the son of Ikesh, the Tekoite. There were 24,000 men in his division. The seventh, for the seventh month, was Helez, the Pelonite, and Ephraimite. There were 24,000 men in his division. The eighth, for the eighth month, was Sibikiah, the Hushathite, a Zerite. There were 24,000 men in his division. The ninth, for the ninth month, was Abazir, an Anaphathite, the Benjamite. There were 24,000 men in his division. The 10th for the 10th month was Mahariah, the Neotakite, a Zerite. There were 24,000 men in his division. The 11th for the 11th month was Benaiah, the Puranite, an Ephraimite. There were 24,000 men in his division. The 12th for the 12th month was Heldiah, the Nephotite, from the family of Othniel. There were 24,000 men in his division. The officers were over the tribes of Israel, over the Reubenites, Eliezer, son of Zikri, over the Simeonites, Sheptiah, son of Makkah, over Levi, Hashbaiah, son of Kemuel, over Aaron, Zadok, over Judah, Elihu, a brother of David, over Issachar, Omri, son of Michael, over Zebulun, Ishmael, son of Obadiah, over Naphtali, Jeremoth, son of Azareel, over Ephraimite, Hoshea, son of Azaziah, over half-tribe of Manasseh, Joel, son of Pedadiah, over the half-tribe of Manasseh and Gilead, Edo, son of Zechariah, over Benjamin, Jaseel, son of Abner, over Dan, Azarel, son of Jeroham. These were the officers over the tribes of Israel. David did not take the number of the men 20 years old or less because the Lord had promised to make Israel as numerous as the stars in the sky. Joab, son of Zeruah, began to count the men but did not finish. Amen. Wrath came over Israel on account of the numbering, of this numbering, and the number was not entered in the book of the annals of the king. Asmapheth, son of Adil, was in charge of the royal storehouse. Jonathan, son of Uzziah, was in charge of the storehouses and the outlying districts and the town and the villages and the watchtowers. Azri, son of Kelub, was in charge of the field workers who farmed the land. Shimea, the Ramathite, was in charge of the vineyards. Zabadee, the Shipmathite, was in charge of the produce of the vineyards for the wine vats. Baal Hanan, the Gedarite, was in charge of the olive and sycamore fig trees in the western foothills. Joash was in charge of the supplies of olive oil. Chitriah, Sharonite, was in charge of the herds grazing in Sharon. Shapta, son of Adalah, was in charge of the herds in the valleys. Obil, the Ishmaelite, was in charge of the camels. Jedediah, the Menorahite, was in charge of the donkeys. Jezeziah, the Hagrite, was in charge of the flocks. All these were the officials in charge of King David's property. 
Jonathan, David's uncle, was a counselor, a man of insight and scribe. Jehiel, son of Hakamani, took care of the king's son. Ahithophel was the king's counselor. Hushai the archite was the king's friend. Ahithophel was succeeded by Jehoiada, son of Benaiah, by Abathar. Joab was the commander of the royal army. David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem, the officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, and the officers in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the brave warriors. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house, a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. But God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name, because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me for my whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah, a leader, and from the house of Judah he chose my family, and from my father's sons he was pleased to make me king over all Israel. All of my sons, and the, of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son, is the one who will build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be, to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he is unswerving and carrying out my commands and laws that is being done at this time. So now I charge you in the sight of all of Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. As you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, and for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. <clears throat> Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Then David said to his, Solomon, to his son Solomon, the plans, for the portico of the temple in its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the palace of atonement. He gave him the plans of all of that the Spirit had put in mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms, for the treasuries of the temple of God, and for the treasuries for the dedicated things. He gave him instructions for the divisions of the priests and Levites and for all the work of the serving of the temple in the Lord, as well as for the articles to be used in its service. He designated the weight of gold for all the gold articles to be used in various kinds of services, and the weights of silver for all the silver articles to be used in various kinds of service. The weight of gold for the gold lampstands and their lamps, with the weight of each lampstand and its lamps, and the weight of the silver for each lampstand and its lamps. According to the use of the lampstand, the weight of gold for each table for consecrated bread, the weight of silver for silver tables, the weight of pure gold for the forks, sprinkling bowls, and pitchers, the weight of gold for each gold dish, the weight of silver for each silver dish, and the weight of the refined gold for the altar of incense. He also gave him the plans for the chariot, that is the cherubim of gold that spreads their wings and shelter the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. All this, David said, I have in writing from the hand of the Lord upon me, 
and he gave me understanding in all the details of the plans. David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all of the work of the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. The divisions of the priests and Levites are ready for all the work on the temple of God. And every willing man skilled in any craft will help you in the work, all the work. The officials and all the people will obey your every command. Yes. So we, we are clearly going to do a deep, deep dive into the Ishmaelite Obil and the sociological impact on his peoples in the subsequent generations for being assigned as camel lovers. Oh my God. OG jockey. Or maybe we could pick Jaziz and study about why his people chose to dwell in tents and then got the job of taking care of the flocks. Is that what y'all want to do tonight? No. No, probably not. Judah, what are we going to do tonight? You know, I think we're going to go over a kind of heavenly division. You guys remember our heavenly stratagem? In chapters 23, 24, and 25, we looked into the heavens and God's orchestration on the earth as the solution to the world's problems. Well, saints, I think it's fitting on a night like tonight that we cover the area that we told you about but didn't get to see. Remember, there were 24,000 Levites that were working. There were supervisors. There were workmen. There were prophets. There were priests. But we told you about one category of God's people that we didn't get to read about just yet. You know, I love the word of God. Victory. Overtones of resurrection. They're in every area of the text if you just have eyes to see. And I promise that same spirit will be at work in us as we read this together. Lentonius, will you read one through three for me? This is the list of the Israelites, heads of families, commanders of thousands, and commanders of hundreds, and their officers, who served the king in all that concerned the army divisions that were on duty month by month throughout the year. Each division consisted of 24,000 men. All right, pause for me. I'm interrupting you again. We have a list. When I hear the word list, I want to tune out. I'm telling you, don't do it on me tonight. You know what 24,000 represents? We're not just talking about a list, people. We're talking about a heavenly division that represents something that is within God's might. Keep going. In charge of the first division for the first month, Joshua, Joshua B., the son of Zaphil, there were 24,000 men in his division. He was a descendant of Perez and a chief of all the army officers for the first month. Now, undoubtedly, you could have a great time defining these men's names. And I promise it would tell the story. But I simply want to tell you what the man's function is in verse 3. Joshabim, this man's a descendant of Perez. That should call to mind certain things for you. Yep. He was of David. The LXX calls him the Archon of Archons of the Force. Somebody say Force. Force. Now, I'm not talking about Star Wars, you nerds. I'm talking about Force, like kinetic energy. He is called the Archon of Archons of the Force in Greek. You know what it says in the Masoretic? What? He's the head, the Rosh, of the princes of God. Wow. He is a man that is in a stately position that has to do with a leader that commands force or power. It's important to grasp something that's not evident in our translation. The chief of all the army, of the officers, this man, 
He's more like the head of the princes of Sabaoth, or divisions, or army, or military. We would like to unpack that word just a little bit for you. I have a slide for you that I want to walk you through. Sabaoth is Strong's number, 6635 in Hebrew. It may apply to military service, but especially, somebody say especially? Especially. Hard, difficult service. Ah, you don't know anything about that, do you? Not at all. Specifically, it also refers to the context of divine service. Whether you're an angel in the heavens or you're on the earth, it is someone who's in service or therefore under the command of a divine entity. In this case, we'd be speaking about Israel on the earth and a pattern that we've already identified. Over half of its nearly 500 uses come in one phrase, the Lord or God of hosts. The title the Lord of hosts was often translated into the Septuagint as the Lord of powers or the Lord Almighty. You want to learn a bit about the Lord of power? Does somebody want to learn about an archon of force? Yes. I want to know about God's heavenly divisions and how he wants to win on the earth. Yeah. Does that sound like it's applicable to us tonight? Yeah. Yes. Hey, look, all good preaching reveals something to you about God. You're about to learn one of the most amazing facets of God on the planet. He is a military general. I want to Come hand on. out a few scriptures on this topic. Who wants to read? Come on, there can't be that few of people in here that want to read. Who wants to read? Abby. Abby, why is your hand not up? Amen. <laughs> Abby gets the first one. Abby, you get Exodus 6, verse 26 through 27. Cody, you get Exodus 7, verse 4. Oh, that's a good one. Spence, you get Exodus 12, 17. Caleb, you're going to read Exodus 12, 41. Steve Thomas, Exodus 12, 51. And you're going to read all the way to chapter 13 and verse 2. Uh, Nick Rosales, take Numbers 33, 1. Southey, you're going to read Numbers 33, verses 50 through 53. We've got a few more. Paul Rosales, you're going to take Zechariah 4, 6. Brenton, take Psalm 24, 7 through 10. Timo, get Luke 2, 13 through 15, and Hayes, you're going to read James 5, 1 through 5. We got one more? Right here. Brandon, 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 5. Now, as Justin gets prepared to hear you read, <laughs> and we get prepared to comment on these verses, it's important for you to know that we truncated the definition in the complete word study. I cut out something that is simply not correct. They said in the Torah... The first five books, this phrase simply doesn't appear. They were wrong. It's foundational to all of the Bible. And you're about to understand God better than the writer of the complete word study understood the definition of this word. So we want to show that to you. Pay particular attention to what you hear in Exodus because the writer of the complete word study didn't think that the word Saba or Sabaot had a significant role in the first five books of the Bible. All right, who's got Exodus 6, 26 through 27? Oh, loud and Come on, Abby. Commanding voice. Stand up, Abby. 
She turns 15 tomorrow. It's time to stand up as a woman of God and be counted. Now in the English it says, bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. Yeah. That word in Hebrew is Tzabaot. What's important to get here is that the Israelite nation, as they were leaving Egypt, this is a nation that were slaves for over 400 years. As they're coming out of Egypt, they are viewed in the Torah as having divisions, military divisions. They were not viewed as a country club. They were not viewed as a youth group. They were viewed as a military structure having divisions. They were an army of the willing and obedient in Yahweh's purpose. He viewed them as having divisions and going out towards war. They were the one nation on earth that was Yahweh's inheritance. You guys remember that in Deuteronomy 32.9? When the nations received their inheritance according to the numbers of the sons of God, Israel is his inheritance. They are the one nation that he has chosen, and he chose them with and set, set them with divisions and set them out for war. Why do we say army of the willing and the obedient? They didn't have to come out of Egypt. They could have stayed. And some Egyptians decided to go with the ones who wanted to go. Amen. They all knew what they were signing up for. They were going out into a desert and at some point would be delivered into a promised land. They had to be willing to endure hardship. They had to view themselves not as slaves, but as son-like soldiers. Let's pick up in Exodus 7, 4. He will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment. I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. I'm going to lay my hand on Egypt is what God said. Mm. Man, when somebody starts talking about laying hands on you, you hope you're in a reciprocal state. One of the many purposes of the Exodus was for Yahweh to display his superiority over Egypt, but more specifically, Egypt's gods. Are you familiar with that in Exodus 12, 12? On the night that I pass through and deliver your firstborn sons, I will, with mighty acts of judgment, bring judgment upon Egypt's gods. By mighty acts of judgments in delivering his divisions, his Sabaoth, his army, his people out from under the Gentile peoples and the Gentile deities, God formed his army. His army was the spoils of war. His army was something delivered from the power of other deities. And he refers to them here with a possessive pronoun. My Sabaoth. Come on. My divisions. As opposed to what? Yours. This group of people, Egyptian gods, they are mine. I am organizing them into rank and file. I will choose to overcome you with them. Now that's an incredible statement because the Egyptian deities had a people following them, worshiping them. They were armed. They were the military power of the world. And God chose slaves and made them sons. 
And he put them in his army and he referred to them as such. It's very important and you might want to underline in your Bible. This passage does not just call them Sabaoth. It does not just say divisions. It says my divisions. Yeah. Who's got 12, 7? 17. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because it was on this day, very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Come on now. Do you notice the slight change here? My divisions. I brought your divisions out. See, Sabaoth for divisions. It's clear. He's speaking about them as if they're his army. But I want to let you know a secret this evening. When you are the Lord's Sabaoth, when you are his military divisions, and he has victory. You participate in that victory with him. Amen. He says celebrate. Why are we celebrating? This is 12-17. Exodus 12-12 has just happened. Yeah. Yeah. Man, you've never seen a party like soldiers that have been to war and were victorious. Yeah. Except God was the one doing the fighting here. But they were his Amen. Sabaoth. Man, I want to be the Yahweh's Sabaoth tonight. In celebration of God's victory that became their victory as they participated with Him. They go through their houses and they clean out everything that reminds them that is a little bit like Egypt. A little bit like the gods that were just defeated. The little bits of Egypt that were previously on them so that they might fully revel in Yahweh's Sabaoth. Now why does it say my divisions and then your divisions? The place that you were giving in rank and standing in God's army is a gift from Him to you. Amen. You belong to Him. Nobody can take your place. It is a gift to you. That's an important thing when you think of Elder Charlie and what his voice means in your life. That's a gift to you. That is your divisions. That is something God gave you. But that's only true because Elder Charlie belongs to Yahweh. Amen. And so do you. Now, what else did God speak about his people Israel when he pulled them out of Egypt? He said, Egypt, my son. Anybody remember that? Yeah. Israel is his son. Yeah. And he's also his army divisions, his Sabaoth. This begins to build a picture for us that Israel is spoken of as God's son soldiers. I want you to hold on to that and use that as biblical imagery. When we're considering who God's people are like, they're both sons and they're his Sabaoth soldiers. Hey, you just got Exodus 12, 41. At the end of the 430 years on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So we've already heard my divisions. We've heard your divisions. Now we're hearing Yahweh's Sabaoth. Yeah. You know, Moses is writing this, but from the outside looking into the entire world, they were Yahweh's divisions. They were seen as his army to do his will on the earth. They had to be willing. They had to be able. They had to be skilled because they, the one purpose that they were called was to be his army on the earth. Now, where did that idea come from originally? It came from a pattern in the heavens. The Lord also has an army in the heavens. You guys have been studying that about the divisions of 24, right? Yes. The Lord has an army in the heavens, but he also expects his people to be his soldiers on the earth. They weren't just there to enjoy his blessings. They were there to fight the Lord's wars. Come on. Let's take this a little further in Exodus 12, 51 through 13, 2. And on that very day, 
the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. God even enlisted your dog. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that belongs to you. Come on. The very day of their deliverance was the day of their enlistment into his army. Come on. They didn't have to join. They didn't have to go. They could stay with the leeks and onions if they wanted to, but they chose Yahweh because Yahweh chose them. They reciprocated, and God wanted something to be true. He wanted their sons after them to have the same heart. He wanted the sons after them to see their father and mother's commitment and reciprocated. He immediately moves from the day of your deliverance when I brought you out by your divisions, your Sabaoth. I'm telling you, consecrate your children. Amen. Parents, our children are learning from everything that we do. When you could go to work, but you stay home and Netflix, they, they learn from that. They learn what it is to be weak. They learn what it is to not be a soldier. They learn what it is to have a temporary commitment to the things of God. You said, no, no, it's just work. Why do we go to work? We go to work so that we can bring something to the war chest of God. We go to work so that we can display in our lives the one hope for all of our co-workers. We go to work because we're soldiers in the army of God. That's why we don't call in sick when others do. The day they crossed the Red Sea. Immediately after this, in Exodus 14, when they cross the Red Sea, it is the nation's baptism. They're going into a boot camp in the desert, and they have been washed in water, and they come out the other side with a declaration of war as the fruit of their enlistment. Now every nation on earth knows this is the one nation that God chose. Every nation on earth, including the nation that Rahab is a part of, is watching to see how they handle the same situations that all men have. And they take note. God is with these people. And these people are with Him. They are His instrument on earth. Rahab was born again from this witness. Rahab looked and without the gospel ever being preached to her, she knew that Yahweh was greater than all other gods. She knew that her people were condemned and could not win. And she wanted to join the people of God. She wanted to enlist. She did pretty good. The greatest officer that Israel ever produced came from Rahab's body. Because Jesus Christ was in the body of Rahab, so to speak, in that her descendants were already there from the time she was born. On the note of training and hardship, who has Numbers 33, verse 1? Numbers 33, 1. Here are the stages in the journey of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt by divisions under the leadership of Moses. (coughs) Divisions! Sabaot! His Sabaot had stages in the desert. Man, oh man, when you have an army that is representing something in the heavens... They didn't go through a 30-minute tutorial about how to be a new believer. They went through stages in difficulty. They went through stages in combat because they represented to the earth what was in the heavens at God's side. Now, after recounting these stages, Moses goes on to say in verse 50, more about them. Who has Numbers 3350? I do. Numbers 3350 through 53. On the plains of Moab, 
images and their cast idols. Come on. And demolish all their high places. Take possession of the land and settle in it. For I have given you the land to possess. Saints, they come out of their training sages that are hardship. You remember Sabaoth with service, duties that are difficult, sun soldier kind of work. And God begins to give them marching orders. Man, you never know what kind of marching orders are right around the corner. What revelation is right around the corner when you're in the desert? It's God preparing you for combat. Saints, the point that we're making is that Yahweh chose only one nation on earth to represent him. You remember this from Deuteronomy 32. He viewed that him as his son soldiers who were willing and obedient to do his will on the earth with the same expectancy that a commander has for soldiers that are under him. He trained them and gave them marching orders and expected them to carry it out like his princely son soldiers that they were. Y'all talk to us. What were some of the marching orders that you just heard in this verse? Demolish. You should not think of those simply as stone statues. Because the prophets railed against them as stone statues, they were mocking them. Understand that the gods that were over the nations often indwelt those statues. This was a clear reference. I can put my people in the desert of dependency, but because they are trained to obey me, they will unseat you, they will destroy your images. If your people will not repent, then those people will be driven out. There is no place on earth for someone that does not want to fall in rank with the Sabaoth of Yahweh. That was a powerful message and the nations understood it to the point that to this day, all the nations on the earth are hostile towards Israel. That's because the gods over the Gentiles are hostile to Israel and Israel's God. They're not just stone statues. They actually were emblematic of the deity that was physically over the nation. And God's son soldiers from the beginning were pulling down those deities. Now, if you back up in the story, remember that God brought the Israelites certain directions through the desert to teach them what? Warfare. He brought them on certain paths to teach them warfare. This is something that we view pretty little of God. We view him as somebody who provides our needs. We view him as somebody we can cry out to. We have to start viewing him as a commander that trains up warriors in his divisions. He has an expectancy that any commander has for the soldiers under him. What does that expectancy look like? Any commander in the military, any of the movies you've seen, they expect their troops to obey yeah. orders, right? Yeah. And the troops are willing and obedient, like sun soldiers. Yeah. You know, this fact is memorialized in an epithet or a title of Yahweh. This is Zechariah 4.6. Who's got that? So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. This is Yahweh Sabaoth. This is a title. Think of titles in the the Bible. God has so many of them. He has Yahweh Yireh. He has El Shaddai. He has El Elyon. He has Yahweh. This is Yahweh Sabaoth. The Lord, the I am, who I am. Commander of all of the hosts of my army. And he is saying to Zechariah, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. The spirit of Yahweh Sabaoth. 
when Zechariah wanted to convey that Zerubbabel could indeed build the temple, even though it seemed beyond him, he reminded Zerubbabel that Yahweh Sabaoth is the one who said it. This is the commander of all of the Lord's hosts. And out of his mouth, he is the one speaking to Zerubbabel, saying, you can do it. In other words, he has an order. You have an order. Obey it. Obey it, and the whole might of the Lord's corporate military power is behind his obedient soldier. Oh, that Come on, is that good news? That didn't get the reaction it needs to get. When a soldier obeys the order of Yahweh Sabaoth, the entire corporate military power of Yahweh backs that soldier. Amen. We live in a time when authority is being degraded at every turn, and an officer can be left alone to be brutalized by a crowd because of uh, the thought of injustice, whether that officer did it or not. I want you to understand that is not how Yahweh's army works. If you are a soldier in the king's business, if you are doing what the king said, then the king himself will back you with royal authority. How important is it, saints, that when we face an impossible task, that we be in the king's business. Come on. Yeah. The truth is, is that Zerubbabel had stalled in building the temple. They had paused. They had taken too much time because it was too difficult. And the prophet showed up and said, The God of the armies of heaven says you will do it. And it will not be by your strength. The military might of God will cause it to come about. Yeah. And do you know what they did? They built that temple. Come on. Friends, I'm telling you that the problems that we face are overcome in the military might of our God as we stand in the commands of our God, as we see ourselves as son soldiers that must do the will of God. Let us pick up in Psalm 24. Verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. What is the setting? David is speaking about the temple that would be built. He's commanding doors. He's commanding wood, beam, and stones, and metal to obey the Lord God Almighty. Read it again, Brenton. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this, the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. The Lord Lord Almighty. Yahweh, Yahweh Sabaoth. David expected the military commanding of God to enter into the temple. Come on. He called him the king of glory. He called him mighty. He called him strong in battle. And then he gives him the epithet to his name. We are soldiers who have obeyed on earth. So Yahweh, your throne is here. This is a place for your power to move through. Isn't that exactly what we should be doing in our own lives? Now, this is not an Older Testament construct. It's pervasive throughout the Gospels in ways that you might not understand. The Newer Testament assumes that this is your view of God to the point that it's present in passages without spelling it out. Who has Luke 2, 
13 through 15. Read just 13 for me and we'll keep going. Saints, who's familiar with a remez? Yes. yes. This is not a remez, but it will explain itself within the passage here in just a moment. But can you work with me? Yes. A great company of angels. See, there is something wrong with our imagery, with the way that we grow up thinking about these things, the way that you see it presented in a movie. When you hear the words great company of angels, do you envision men with wings? Do you envision men with harps? A great host, a great company. The shout of a king, a multitude appear. Keep reading. Glory to God in the highest, and on the earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. <laughs> Pause, Demo. When you think of Elijah's servant, and his eyes being opened, and he looks to the hills, and he sees great chariots of fire, and there are more of them than there are enemy soldiers there, what does that do for your soul? But you think of the announcement of the birth of Christ as some kind of fat naked cherub sitting on a cloud with some Charmin under his hands. It's the same army. It's the same host of heaven. And they showed up because something significant had happened. Read 14 again through into 15. Glory to God in the highest. Highest of what? Highest of the angelic beings. Highest of the heavens. Highest of the host. Highest of all gods. Glory rest upon him and peace unto men. Saints, you know good and well we're not speaking about tranquility. We're speaking about right order because the commander of in the heavenly armies is present. They understood that when you saw a great company of armor-wearing, sword-bearing, angelic warriors that appeared that Yahweh Sabaoth was present that the highest and mighty God who commanded the armies of present was making an announcement where did it ever say the Lord where did it ever say Yahweh they appeared but they knew who they worked for saints our understanding of our placement on the earth has got to increase you are the representation of that mighty army You are his son soldiers. You are his messengers. You are declaring to the earth the same messages that they were sent to. Why? Because we are his Sabaoth, his military divisions. Let me correct something here. It's not glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. It is peace to men that are of goodwill. It is peace to some men and warfare to other men. There is a modifier in this phrase that you have to get straight. You don't show up with an entire army for an announcement that is going to be universally received. You show up with an entire army so that those who are of goodwill and want to join the ranks of Yahweh can, but those that will not know what they are in for. That is what is happening in Luke 2. Now there's a warning in the book of Yaakov. It's a warning to the rich who are powerful in this age of the perils involved in defying Yahweh Sabaoth. Who's got James 5, 1 through 5? I do. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Because of the what? Misery. The misery. Imagine 
Yahweh Tzavahot, getting on his bad side, what kind of misery that would bring. Imagine the wrath and fury of being on the wrong side of the God of all the heavenly hosts and his earthly hosts. Keep going. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Now when you are wronging other sun soldiers of Yahweh Tzavod, it comes up to the heavens to his ears. And he does something about it. Come on. When you deny the wages of those sun soldiers working in the army of Yahweh Tzavod, you will experience court-martial for your AWOL behavior with all of the fierce punishment you would expect a soldier to face who hoarded supplies and avoided the battle. Nobody likes to see a soldier go AWOL. All of us feel inside of us what should be done towards a soldier who goes AWOL. You believe that if you feel that, Yahweh Tzavahot definitely feels it. Come on. Can you imagine that you're fighting? You're in a foxhole. You're counting bullets. And the number of soldiers outnumber your bullets. And then you look over and somebody's got a PlayStation and a couple X, uh, Xbox, Xboxes hiding magazines under it. Because they were at playtime when the rest of the world was at wartime. James is warning his congregation that we are in fact in a life and death struggle. And your wealth is not for you. Your wealth is for the advancement of God's war chest. It is for the liberation of the nations. It's for the assembly of the army sun soldiers of God. Do you think his congregation took him seriously? Well, I bet they did. The book of Revelation is literally repeat, replete with this kind of imagery. We're not going to turn to them. But if you ever scan through Revelation 19, tell me how was Jesus envisioned as coming? At the head of the armies. He is the embodiment of Yahweh Sabaoth. That is the sweet little lamb carrying Jesus that you love. And you are a soldier in that kind of army. Commands are not optional. Orders are not optional. They are our delight because we've been included in his victory. As we move forward, we want you to highlight some practical concerns for soldiers in Yahweh Sabaoth's army. This will be 2 Timothy 2, and we're going to read uh, verses 3 and 4. Did somebody have that? Like a what? Endure hardship with us like a deacon in any denominational church. Endure hardship with us like those that close when the wind blows. Endure hardship with us like those with a political commitment. No. 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 Endure hardship with us like what, Brandon? A A good soldier. Not an AWOL soldier. Not a soldier that shows up when he feels like it. A good soldier. Do you know why you can be a good soldier? You have a good commanding officer. He knows who you are. He knows what you are. And he knows what he can do through you. You may have a problem seeing that. He does not. You do not need to constantly inform him about your limitations. He's the one that enlisted you. 
He's the one that you declared war on behalf of when you were baptized. He is the one caring for you and arming you. Your victory is entirely dependent on being a good soldier. Not a part-time soldier. Good soldier. Start again, Brandon. He doesn't what? He doesn't get involved in civilian affairs. We might need to put away our social media altogether. You might need to turn off your TV altogether. If we can no longer hear the voice of our commanding officer to the point where his orders are suggestions, they're to be considered, they're somewhere within our decision-making framework then you have crowded your life with too many voices. I can tell you in every church that I've been in, this is a problem. CNN is telling us what to think about. MSNBC is telling us how we should feel. We as the body of Christ are discussing civilian affairs. Come on. I'm not working for social justice. The world will never see social justice. Only the body of Christ sees social justice because it is found in Christ. I am not working to eliminate racism. There is no such thing inside the body of Christ and the word does not appear in the Bible. Those who are in Christ are already reconciled. I do not need to be involved in civilian affairs. I just need the next order from my commanding officer. That is who I want to please. Let's read it again, Brandon. What do we want to do? Nothing pleases him more than when you fight beyond your ability. When you trust him despite your limitation. Nothing makes him happier than when you are dependent on him to the point that you are no longer leaning on your own abilities. Like Epaphroditus in Philippians 2, you should be more than willing to die for the service of your Lord. After all, that is what some soldiers do. Epaphroditus almost gave his life for the people that he was serving. Paul actually went so far as to say the only reason he didn't is the Lord had grace upon Paul. He spared Paul from having to grieve for Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was more than willing to do it. You, some soldiers, you're experiencing sickness. All soldiers do. Make it for the glory of our king and your sickness suddenly becomes glorious. Because you are enduring it like a good soldier. Joshebeam and David, they were of a particular line according to Chronicles. They were of the line of Perez. It's time that we Perez right on out of worldly thinking. It's time to break out, friends. We have to break out of worldly concerns. We have to break out of the media psyop campaign against you, soldier of Jesus Christ. We have to do the will of Yahweh Sabaoth. We have to know what His will is. The Bible tells us to find out what is pleasing to Him. What was the most pleasing moment in Jesus' life? When he's in a garden being pressed to the point that he is sweating as if it were drops of blood. And he did the will of the Father anyway. He didn't call in sick. 
He didn't post on Facebook, start a prayer slash gossip chain. He did the will of God. Whatever happened to him, happens to him. Yeah. I would rather die than give in to the media psyops campaign. Amen. We're in verse 4. Yeah. In charge of the division for the second month was Dodai, the Amorite. Miklach was the leader of his division. There were 24,000 men in his division. The third army commander for the third month was Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada the priest. He was chief, and there were, were 24,000 men in his division. This was Benaiah, who was a mighty man among the 30 and was over the 30. His son, Amizabad, was in charge of his division. The fourth, for the first, fourth month, was Asahel, the brother of Joab, the son of Zebediah, was his successor. There were 24,000 men in his division. The fifth, for the fifth month, was the commander of Shemhut, the Israelite. There were 24,000 men in his division. The sixth, for the sixth month, was Ira, the son of Ikesh, the Tekoite. There were 24,000 men in his division. The seventh, for the seventh month, was Halez, the Pelamite. And Ephraimite. There were 24,000 men in his division. The eighth, for the eighth month, was Sibachiah, the Hushatite, a Zerorite. There were 24,000 men in his division. The ninth, for the ninth month, was Abiazer, the Anathite, a Benjamite. There were 24,000 men in his division. The tenth, for the tenth month, was Maharai, the Netophite, a Zerorite. There were 24,000 men in his division. The 11th, for the 11th month, was Benaiah, a Puritanite, and Ephraimite. There were 24,000 men in his division. The 12th, for the 12th month, was Heldai, the Netophite. From the family of Othiel, there were 24,000 men in his division. Now all of these names, including spelling, will be on the test for sure. <laughs> there are astounding observations to be made here. And I know it's a Monday night, some of you are struggling just to focus with all of your attention, and I get it. There are 12 commanders here. The 12 commanders are over Yahweh Sabaoth's army. Wouldn't you expect, since there are 12, that there would be one accounted from each tribe in Israel? Yeah, yes. yes, that's exactly what I would expect. But that is not what you just read. The Lord Almighty's army is comprised of the willing and the skilled. Amen. Judah is represented five times in the list you just heard. The single tribe produced five leaders that are over 24,000 each. Ephraim. Ephraim is represented twice in this list. Benjamin. Benjamin, although it is a tiny little tribe, completely swallowed in the others. It's represented once as producing a leader, over 24,000 men. Levi, although Levi is a priestly tribe, they produced a leader, a military commander, yeah. over 24,000. This means that many tribes are not represented here. They never produced a commander. This is exactly like the church world today. See, the truth is, that most of these men have their roots all the way back into the cave of Adullam. They paid their dues when they were distressed and indebted. They went through the desert of dependency, and so they rose in the economy of God as men who trust Him, and other men followed them. 
Every tribe should have had many candidates for this. Some tribes had none. That's because they did not actually trust him. Look around us. Can you see it? Those who trust our God will rise in his economy. And it's not dependent upon a number. He will raise up as many as it takes. And it only takes as many as he raises up. He only wants the faithful. Saints, you can go from distressed, indebted, discontented, to ruling over rulers of God's army. And it comes by trusting Him in the hard time. It comes from showing up when others show out. That's what it comes from. I I could give you example after example, but we're going to do it from the text. I would simply say that it has been my observation in almost 30 years that the most talented almost never end up leading God's actual army because they trust in their own talents. And so if they get a little sniffle, well, their strength is gone because their talents are gone. Of course, if you had none that you brought to the table and all you ever did was trust in the Lord, then a day where you're sick or dying makes no difference because it never depended on you anyway. I want to raise an army of those who trust in the Lord. These are the times that is proven in. Every time I have ever been personally healed, not one time was I laying in a bed. Not one time was I sitting there doing what everybody said I should do. Every time I have ever been personally healed, it's because I was doing what God told me to do, and He healed me along the way. Pass that word along to the weak. David was a man that was a warrior and a king, and he was said to be a man after God's own heart. I want to tell you that when warriors see that there's not quite enough soldiers and they're willing, they get excited. They don't shrink back. Mm -hmm. If it is left just to Benjamin, just left to Levi, they'll fill as many spots as necessary. Saints, that's representative of most of us in this room. Others should be doing alongside us what we are doing right now with us. But Yahweh Sabaot is able to take his few soldiers that are willing on the day of battle. Yeah. Yeah. This reminded us of a passage in Judges 5. I'm going to read to you verse 8. My heart is with Israel's princes. Yeah. With the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. Saints, the context here is Deborah and Brock are at war with Sisera. They're at war with a man who wishes to destroy God's people, both on the earth and in the heavens. They're fighting in a valley called Megiddo. Does that draw anything to mind for you? Yeah. Deborah was a prophetess, a prophetess who is able to speak God's heart and his words. You know, a prophet named Agabus came to Paul right before a great contest of wills. And Paul's response to the prophecy was, I am not only ready, I'm ready and willing to be bound and go to Jerusalem. She's expressing that her heart is with those of God's people who know the odds are not stacked in their favor, but want to. They have the heart of the willing God. And why Deborah? Because there was not a man who would go. So God used a woman to do it and gave the victory to another woman who would do it. It doesn't depend on strength. It depends on trusting the Lord. We're going to find out in verse 20 as Justin reads this. 
that there's a little more involved, always at play. It's never just men fighting, and it's never just you and your bank account or your strength. In verse 20 of Judges 5, it says, From the heavens the stars fought. From the heavens the stars fought. From their courses, from their divisions, they fought against Sisera. While there was a battle going on on the earth, there was a battle going on in the heavens. Your battle here on the earth is not just an isolated event. Your battle here on the earth happens because there is war going on in the heavens. It says in verse 21, 21, the river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. March on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hooves. Galloping, galloping go his mighty steeds. But curse Moraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. In this battle against Sisera, and much like Gideon's battle or the battle of Revelation, the sad thing is, is that some sun soldiers stay home. They're not willing. They're not willing to. It looks too difficult. The enemy looks too large. They're not willing, so they do not go in to battle. You know what this brings? This brings a curse from heaven. And heaven fights at Yahweh Tzabaot's side. This brings a curse from Yahweh Tzabaot's hosts. Look, the message is, is we must be willing First and foremost, we must be willing and we become skillful as we are willing. Amen. Most of the time we look at people who are skillful and we think that's why the Lord favors them. That's why they're so far ahead in Yahweh Tzabot's army. I'm going to tell you that everyone who is skillful now did not start out skillful. They started out willing. And as they went to battle every day, as they had consistency in going to war and pushing the boundary lines, they became more and more good at it. Are you willing? Yes. He will give you the skill set you need. If you sit back and wait for the skill set, it'll never work that way. Go in the strength that you have. If you're still breathing, then you are still fighting. In the name of Jesus Christ, the army of God is going to rise up. We will not bow to the pressures of our time. Hey, what's verse 16? David believed the promises of God. He did not offend God by breaking his mitzvot. Numbers, chapter 1, verse 3, says you and Aaron are to number by their divisions, by the Sabaot, all the men in Israel, 20 years old or more, who are able to serve in the army. David trusted his God. 
He trusted that God had provided in the divisions comprised of the willing whatever was needed to perform Yahweh's will on earth. Come on. Now, I say that because how old do we take a soldier? 18. We'll take them at 16 if their parents will sign a waiver because we calculate strength based on talents. David had learned to calculate strength based on obeying the will of God. Certainly there were more soldiers if you took those who were under 20. But he didn't. He trusted and limited himself to only what the Lord gave him. And the chronicler points it out. I think it's because David learned from the mistakes of the past. Numbers 20, verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Not trusting Yahweh's orders has consequences. He is a commander. He's Sabaoth of the heavenly and earthly armies. If he says speak, we must speak. There's no time for delay. There's no room for alteration. If he says strike, somebody say the word strike. Strike. If he says speak or if he says strike, we must strike. Simply put, our orders are to be trusted and obeyed regardless of our personal assessment of the situation. God did not bring you into his army as a personal advisor. He brought you in as a son soldier. So act like one. Isaiah 7, 9. I want to read this one to you. And then we're going to go right on to Psalm 78 and read another passage. Isaiah 7, 9 says... The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Come on. Look, this passage was a warning to Ahab because of his faithlessness. Clearly, if we are not immovable in our faith, if we do not have son-soldier kind of faith, then we do not have standing and Yahweh Tzabaot's army. The kind of sun soldiers that he puts through basic training, the ones that he graduates into going into the promised land and fighting his battles, are the ones that have the immovable type of faith that says, no matter what, I am going to go stand where he tells me to stand. Even though I am sick, even though I might have the coronavirus, even though everything of blood of dissipation is coming against me, I will go and stand because Yahweh Tzabaot told me to. Amen. That is the kind of soldiers he wants. Tisdale, would you read Psalm 78, 22 through 24? I'm old. My voice is failing. Sure. <laughs> Psalm 78, 22 through 24. For they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. Yet he gave a command in the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Ah, just for fun, get another one too. Just read the next one. Men ate the bread of angels. He Shut up. Ate the bread of angels. See, all too often after eating the bread of heaven, we do not trust in the Lord for our next deliverance. How many times has he delivered you thus far, Nick Rosales? Yeah, so why would we not trust him for the next one? The purpose of the bread that you are eating right now is to strengthen you for what you must obey Yahweh in tomorrow. That's why we have these meetings, so that you can eat the bread of heaven tonight 
and carry out a soldier's duty tomorrow. This church will be made up of those who not only hear the order, but those who obey the order. Because those who hear it deceive themselves. And those that obey it, well, they participate in the victory of Yahweh and save themselves. I'm going to read to you Mark 16, 16 through 18. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Who believes in what? Yahweh, the Savior of the world, Sabaoth, the commander of the heavenly armies. Baptized, baptized into his ranks, baptized into his army as a declaration, I no longer serve you gods, I serve Yahweh Sabaoth. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Why? Because they are choosing to stand on the outside of an advancing army. He has made his proclamation and he is making it through us in this day, in this age. Do not respond to it. Put you at the sword of that army. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. Even if they breathe it in the air. Amen. They will place their hands on the sick people and they will get well. They will do what? You can't do that from six feet away. Okay? We're not concerned with civilian affairs. Saints, we do not tap out. We do not back up. We do not give up. You understood this when we were in the world, and I just want to take a minute to contextualize it for you. If I am bullying you and your family, and I come up and I hit you in the face, and I hit you in the face, and I cause this, I cause that, everything in the natural man, you understand that if you do not push back, it will never stop. And yet we've become so complacent in the spiritual realm. Our families are sick, so we decide we're going to lay down and take a night a little early. Jesus commanded his heavenly army, go drive out demons and heal the sick. Go pick up snakes. If your bank account is running low, go tithe a little extra. If you're sick, go lay hands on someone else to be healed. Show that you are a part of his heavenly army. Immovable, steadfast, soldier-like faith produces predictable outcomes. Why? Because he is the great heavenly strategist. Vacillating, oscillating, wavering faith also produces a predictable result. Your condemnation because you're aligning with Yahweh Sabaoth's enemies. Yeah, Sam, do, do y'all get that? Yeah. Come on. Both outcomes are predicted in advance. The only thing that can't be predicted is what you will do. If you stand firm, you will be delivered. If you oscillate, if you vacillate, you have just taught the enemy how to use you and abuse you. Don't do it. Stand firm. Do not give up the will of God for any price, for any reason even unto death, and then death itself can't hold you down. But if you get used to giving in, if you get used to backing away, then you have taught him how far you are not willing to go, and he will dominate you your entire life. It's time that we learn to laugh and say, I'm going to take that much more from you because I'm a part of something that is God's Sabaoth. We need to not just know what that term means. We need to know what it looks like for you this week because we're going to walk it out together. Hey, still don't believe it? Read Revelation 21, 7, verse 8. Who's going to read it? I'll read it. Amen. He who overcomes will inherit all this. 
He who what? Overcomes. Overcomes. My God, how do you do that? You do that by never, ever, ever quitting. Never quitting. Not reinterpreting what God told you. Not changing what God said because your circumstances change it. Not changing any facet of your life that God put there because the circumstances got hard. You overcome by never, ever quitting in what God told you to do. Hey, ESV says he who conquers. Come here, Emmy. Are you dead, Emmy? You're alive? Overcome. Something is trying to overcome her. But she is going to fight out. Come on, Emmy. You got fighting. You fight out. You fight. How long? I don't know however long it takes. When you overcome, it will not overcome you. Doesn't mean you'll feel good. Doesn't mean that it's not difficult. It doesn't mean that people won't think you're crazy. But to he who overcomes, there are seven unique promises. Now I know the ESV says conquer, and I like conquer too. But the truth is, is not very often has a demon appeared in front of me and just tried to be a pugilist. Most of the time it is through pouring adversity on you and pouring it on you, seeing if he can get you to divert a trip, seeing if he can get you to back away from a detail that God told you. You must overcome. If you do it sick, there's glory in it. If you do it tired, there's glory in it. If you do it disadvantaged, there's glory in it. If you don't do it, there is no glory in it for you. Uh, like my hey, overcome until when? Till the very last day that you are on this earth. That might be tomorrow. That might be in 10 years from now. But our job as a good soldier of Christ is to overcome until that day comes. That's what will cause us to inherit all this. It says about the man who overcomes, I will be his God. Hey, and guess what? If you die standing on what God told you, that is overcoming. Yes. That is overcoming. He will be your God, and you will be his son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, all men who do not overcome and stand in faith, their place will be the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. We will be, must be, in the name of Jesus, are becoming sun soldiers who overcome and inherit the victory of our God found in trusting and obeying His will on earth. Every eye up here. Everybody make eye contact with me. Nobody looking down. What were the first two things in the list of people who inherit the second death? Cowardly and unbelieving. Our biggest problems are not lust. Our biggest problems are not racism. It's not an unjust social system. Our biggest problem is we have a cowardice streak and we do not believe. Put it to death. Overcome it. And God will be an overcomer inside of you. Hebrews 3.12 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Be encouraged one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. If we just learn that our primary issue is unbelief and a cowardly disposition, what do you think we must hold firm to the end, encouraging each other along the way? We are at war with those things that are warring against our faith and confidence. Nick, got it. 
You've already won. You already have the victory in Christ. You're standing next to sun soldiers on your left and right who are able to remind you of these things. But let's be honest. Have some of you been a little pit that enough encouragement could never be thrown into? That everybody around you is just pouring it in and you're always the vacuum? You're a soldier. It's time that we stand up and encourage each other because we're at war. Rock Kazakh Vehemots. You know how we say it? Get in the truck. Holiness or die trying. I have confidence in Yahweh Sabaoth from the first to the last. And if this week is my last, then praise God, my race is done. What is there to be afraid of, saints? Hey, let's pick up in verse 24. Joab, son of Zeruiah, began to count the men, but did not finish. Wrath came on Israel on account of this number. And the number was not entered into the book of the annals of the king. Yeah, amen. Yeah. How beautiful is the book of Chronicles? Yes. The number was not entered in the book of the annals of King David. Praise God. May God be so good to you as to give you the Chronicles accounting of your life. Amen. Look, it lists the number all the way in Samuel. It doesn't list the number all the way in Chronicles because God is good to David. That number was not entered because the sin was forgotten. That's a good thing about serving Yahweh Tzavot. When you sin against him and you repent rightly, he doesn't only forgive your sin, he forgets about your sin. You know, when my father died, I got his military records. I saw when he was disrespectful to an officer and he got his nose broken. I saw when he was thrown in a brig. In fact, I saw his military record. Man, if you will just trust Yahweh Sabaoth, your military record will only reflect your victories. Real repentance brings real forgiveness. Done with sin and on to righteousness. Can somebody say amen? Amen! (laughs) Justin, pick up in verse 25 and take us for a while, brother. Son of Kalub was in charge of the field workers who formed the land. Shimei, the Ramathite, was in charge of the vineyards. Zabdi, the shipwright, was in charge of the produce of the vineyards for the wine vats. Belhanan, the Gedarite, was in charge of the olive and sycamore fig trees in the western foothills. Joash was in charge of the supplies of olive oil. <laughs> Shidrai, the, the Sharonite, was in charge of the, sh- of the herds of grazing and sharing. Shaphat, the son of Adlai, was in charge of the herds in the valleys. Obil, the Ishmaelite, was in charge of the camels. Ooh, camel Jan- lover. Jananiah, the Marathonite, was in charge of the donkeys. Jaziz, the Hagrite, was in charge of the flocks. All these were the officials in charge of David's, of King David's property. Listen. Personal property was a reality in Israel. It was both lawful and it happened all of the time because God allowed it. But I want you to know that the reality on the ground was also that Israel was a theocracy. In a time of war, whatever you had belonged to the king. How do you view your life? How do you view your home? How do you view your calling? How do you view your kids? Are you in a theocracy? Are you in a representative democracy? 
I want to suggest to you that Acts 20, 24, could we put that on the screen for them? <laughs> However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Take that in for a minute. That is a son soldier at war. Yeah. Yeah. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task, the orders the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace in your life, in your home, in your calling, in your kids. What is most important to you? You can have the good retirement now. It won't be much of a retirement later. You can have a perfect education for your kids in this world's eyes. Of course, it will not be much of an education in eternity. What is your life worth to you? Because Yahweh says, precious in my sight is the death of a saint. He values your life more than you do, but he will not allow you to protect it at the expense of his orders. You're enlisted. You have declared war. We have to be about the king's business. Amen. Let's pick up in verse 32. We have some good things left for y'all. We're one hour and 29 minutes in. Do you have 30 minutes for good things? Yeah. Get 32 through 34 for me. Close out 27. Jonathan, David's uncle, was a conqueror, a man of insight and a scribe. Jehiel, son of Hakmanite, took care of the king's sons. Ahithophel was the king's counselor. Hushai the archite was the king's friend. Ahithophel was succeeded by Jehoiada, son of Benaiah, and Abiathar. Joab was the commander of the royal army. There are quite a few notable points here, but for the sake of time, there's one I want to show you. We have a slide. This was Benaiah, who was a mighty man among the 30 and was over the 30. Everybody familiar with him? Yeah. Lion killer, priest. Yeah. His son. Amzabad. What a name, man. That one's not taken, not in any one of the churches. His son, Amzabad, was in charge of his division. Benaiah had a son that was named Amzabad, who was over an entire military division. You say the man discipled well. Check out verse 34. Ahithophel was succeeded by Jehoiada. Son of Beniah and my Abithar. Now I know what you're thinking. Jehoiada is Beniah's father, right? Yes. He also had a son that he named Jehoiada. We checked it out in the Masoretic. We checked it out in the LXX. It says exactly what it says, funny enough. Beniah had another son with the same name as his father, and that son was a priest. We see a man that was both a warrior and a priest of God, and he raised up sons who could do both. You remember from our heavenly divisions, they're one and the same. We're all a part of God's fist on the earth and the same army. It seems like they might have different functions, and yet the priests, the prophets, and the commanders never strayed far from each other. Y'all ready to get into 28? Yeah. Lintonius, read 28 verse 1. And down to, I guess, just verse 1. David summoned all the officers to assemble at Jerusalem. The officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions. Commanders of what? Divisions. In the service of the king, 
the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, together with their palace officials, the mighty men and all the brave warriors. These men were mighty and they were all brave warriors. Come on. Look, these men were commanders of the divisions and they were in service of the king. If we are to be in service of the king, we must become mighty in faith and brave in adversity. Come on. If we are to have charge over thousands, hundreds, property, livestock, or even palace officials, we must become mighty in faith and brave in adversity. To be brave in adversity, what do you got to go through? Adversity. Adversity. That's how you get brave. Let's everybody in the room go to Deuteronomy 20. Somebody say there when you get there. We're going to walk through nine verses of Deuteronomy 20. Nine verses that should change your life. Look, Deuteronomy 20 has always, everybody say always, always been the litmus test. Say litmus test. Litmus test. You guys ready to take a litmus test? Absolutely. It's the litmus test for inclusion in Yahweh Tzabaot's army. Think of it as like God's Avzdab test. Pat, read verse 1. When you go to war against the enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours. An army what? Greater than yours. Keep going. Do not be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. The adversity will always be overwhelming. God who has delivered you thus far will be with you in your present crisis. That is step number one to be in God's army. He saved you out of Egypt. He saved you and delivered you. He will save you from the next thing. Of course it's overwhelming. You're a part of the only nation on earth he chose. That means you're outnumbered from the moment you cross the Red Sea. Oh, come on. Do verse 2. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. Come on, man. Our battles are initiated, directed, and completed by the word of God delivered by a priest. They're not initiated. They're not directed. And they sure can't be completed by YouTube or Facebook. It has got to be based on the word of God. Where are you getting your marching orders? Verse 3. He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted. Say faint-hearted. Faint-hearted. Or afraid. Say afraid. Afraid. Do not be terrified. Say terrified. Terrified. Or give way to panic. Say panic. Panic. Last time those words come out of your mouth tonight. For the Lord your God is one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Faint-hearted, afraid, terrified, panicked behavior is an affront to God and it ensures your personal defeat. Casting those things away from you by trusting Yahweh is victory assured. In this life or the next, it is victory. What is verse 5? The officers shall say to the army, Has anyone built a new house and and not dedicated it? Let him go home, or he may die in battle, and someone else may dedicate it. Are you afraid to lose your home? No. No. If you are, you are not ready to be a sun soldier in Yahweh's army. Verse 6. Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home. 
someone else enjoy it. Are you afraid to lose your job? No. no. If you are, you are not ready to be a sun soldier. Verse 7. Has anyone become pledged to a woman but not, and not married her? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else marry her. Are you afraid to lose your wife? No. no. If you are, you are not ready to be a sun soldier. Verse 8. We, if you just can't let go of being terrified or panicked behavior, you are not ready to be a son soldier. Verse 9. When the officers have finished speaking to the army, they shall appoint commanders over. Men who trust Yahweh enough to risk their home, risk their job, risk their spouse not following. Men who can control their emotions. That is the pool from which leaders of Yahweh Sabaot are drawn. Amen. That is why these 12 men led 24,000 each. Because they obeyed Deuteronomy 20. Let's go to Nehemiah 4.13 together. Somebody yell there when you get there. Therefore, therefore, that's in reference to the adversity that is surrounding them. That's why it's there. I therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your home. Amen. Is there an apparent contrast between this and Deuteronomy 21? You are warned that you're going to have to lose them, or at least be ready to. The other is imploring you to fight for them. I want to tell you that Proverbs 10:24 says, What the wicked fear will come up upon them, what the righteous desire they will inherit. Come on. It's almost like Jesus said that if you fight to save your own life, you are surely going to lose it. But the man who loses his life will inherit the kingdom. Yeah. We're imploring you to fight for God's heavenly army tonight. You know who is that heavenly army? Your brothers, your sons, your wife, or at least they're supposed to be. Enlisted into his ranks, baptized and declared to be at war. Heads of households, there is no member of your family that is not a part of that army. Come on. Tonight we raise a banner. We raise a war drum. We say, I am with Yahweh Sabaot. And I'm not taking it laying down anymore. Us, my little ones, and our whole family, we are fighting together. Amen. Nehemiah and Deuteronomy 20 are telling you that the best way to protect everything that you love is by trusting Yahweh Sabaot as a faithful son soldier. Like Paul told Timothy twice, fight the good fight of faith tonight. More than that, fight it tomorrow. Fight it the day after that and the year after that. You'll begin to see tangible victory. Amen. Look, we want to show you another brave and mighty man. We have it on a slide. This is Isaiah 37, verse 14 through 20. We're going to see some aspects that make a brave and mighty man. You guys know about the King Hezekiah? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys heard about the King Sennacherib? Yep, yeah. Look at this passage. 
Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. What letter was that? That was the letter from the Assyrians saying, we are coming to completely destroy your entire kingdom. You think that corona is bad? bad. Sennacherib showed up with the heads of the enemy and promised to make every Israelite drink their own urine and eat their own feces. That's worse than anything CNN is threatening you with. <laughs> he said to Hezekiah, he said, don't tell me that you're going to trust in your God. All the other kings that I conquered said they would do the same. Yeah. All right. What did Hezekiah do? He received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. He didn't devise a way to leave the camp secretly. He didn't devise a way to go to another camp and try to regroup and form a counterattack. He didn't campaign from a bunker on the East Coast and hope to ride out the election. He went directly to the temple of the Lord. Sometimes you have to go straight to the temple of the Lord and open up the enemy's threats right in front of the Lord. He spread it out, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord Almighty, Yahweh Sabaoth, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. Do you see that he didn't take it personal? He didn't cry out to God and say, oh, Lord, they're threatening me. I feel so threatened. He said, Lord, they're threatening you. Do something about it. That's because he was a soldier in Yahweh's army. Come on. It is true, oh, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these people in their lands. He's not denying that it's true. He's saying, look, they do exactly what they say they do. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you are alone, O Lord, our God. You see, the fact is Hezekiah cried out to the Lord, but he didn't do it like you typically do. We like to cry out and say, oh, God, help us because I don't know that you're going to do it. Hezekiah cried out and said, Lord, they're insulting you. They are insulting you. They are insulting your kingdom. And they have laid to waste the other gods because they're not gods at all. You are Yahweh Tzavahot. Rise up and defeat this enemy. This is how you cry out to God. Knowing who he is and what the enemy is trying to do, you cry out to him knowing that he will come on your behalf. Man, oh man, is there a value in understanding your place in Yahweh Tzavahot's army? Yeah, there is. Man, I one time saw a person shout of Elder Charlie. Sometime you should ask and find out what happened to the individual who did that. I'll tell you now, he went blind until we prayed for him. <laughs> That's not a joke. It happened on that stage right there. Mm-hmm. Justin, will you pick up in verse 2? King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brothers and my people. I'll the first I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord. But what happens if I get sick and can't complete it? For the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it. But God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name, because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Why couldn't he build a house? What's the first reason? The warrior. Warrior. It's not because his hands were stained with blood. It's because he's a warrior. There were still enemies to put down. You don't get to build the house until every enemy is put down. David, you'll be fighting till you die. What kind of warrior are you? 
You will be fighting till you die. It is not time for the house of God to be completed. It is time to go to war. Keep going. Wait, how long is he to be king? That's a strange thing for an old man who's dying to say. It sounds like he had faith that not even death would hold him down. Forever. He chose Judah as leader. And from the house of Judah, he chose my family. And from my father's son, he was pleased to make me king over all Israel. Of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many. Yeah, he had. What, what? I will establish his kingdom forever. What? If. If he is unswerving in carrying out my commands and law. I have a couple slides for you. Warrior David and the Davidic son. On the left-hand side of the screen, Warrior David. This is verse 3. It's what God said to David. It's important to grab this. But God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name. Because you are a warrior and have shed blood. What did God say about the Davidic son? He said to me, Solomon, your son is, to, is the one who will build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. What David couldn't complete in his life, his son would complete. And it's one picture. Watch what happens in the next slide. David the warrior, this is verse 4. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel for how long? Forever. David was a warrior until he died, so David actually never died. He's, he is right now in the presence of God waiting for his Israeli throne on earth, Come on. and he will literally sit on it forever. There is no condition upon this promise. It is completely unconditional because David completed his task. Let's look at his son, the builder of the temple. This is verse 7. I will establish his kingdom forever if, say if, if, he is unswerving in carrying out my commands and laws as is being done at this time. David was unswerving. If his son continued in that, not only would he build the temple, but he would have a throne forever. His son failed in the task. David's role or function was completed within his lifetime. And he is to be king over Israel forever. That is an unconditional promise. Solomon's role or function was to build the temple on earth and, say and, and, be unswerving in the commands. His promise was conditional and he failed. Jesus is the man of war like David, the one that David typified. And Jesus is the builder of God's temple. And Jesus holds unswervingly to the command. He completes both types. That is why he both 
goes to war with the nations and wins, and he built the permanent temple on earth forever. Solomon fell short. Jesus will not. We have some passages for you that will help you understand this because it's a beautiful truth. Who wants to read them? Cassidy, take Revelation 5, 8 through 10. Who else? Abby, I'm so glad. Take John 14 in verse 2. Cho, take 1 Peter 2, 4 through 6. Who else? Rob, take Revelation 21, 2 through 4. Brenton, take Revelation 21, 9 through 14. Well, we're going to pause here for a minute. You can only take so much truth at one time. Who's got Revelation 5? Come on, what is the context here? The elder John is weeping and weeping and we have a lion that is triumphed, that is worthy. But we also have one who has been slain and is worthy. We have one who has purchased men from God, from every, somebody say every, every, every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. Saints, when captives have been liberated from every nation, from every language, from every tongue, and they are functioning as warrior priests, the Davidic role will be done. One who stomped out the nations and had men like Ittai run to him. He has initiated, Jesus has initiated this through the crucifixion. He struck down something in the heavens and he commissioned you and me as his Sabaoth, as his people upon the earth to rescue captives from the fierce, to take them from every tribe, every language, to bring them to him and teach them how to be priests and warriors like that lion and like that lamb that we might atone and purchase the rest of his kingdom, the rest of his building blocks, the very rest of his war spoils and inheritance. That wasn't Jesus' only mission. Who's got John 14, 2? Jesus' first mission was to win the war and raise up men as spoils of war who would go into battle for him. His second mission is preparing and building a place. Look, Jesus' second coming will be the transitioning from the typifying of David to the typifying of Solomon. We are presently, right now, we are presently the spoils of war. We are the sun soldiers in the army of Yahweh Tzavaot. We are the materials gathered and being gathered for the temple. What does 1 Peter 2, 4 through, th 4 through 6 say? As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like, the, like living stones, are being built into the spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, 
and the one who trusted him will never be put to shame. <coughs> see, Peter understood that this was currently in process. Do you see the words are being yeah. built? Revelation declares when the transition will be complete. It occurs in the 21st chapter of Revelation, and it is after the battle with the nations. So preterism is not possible. Pick up in Revelation 21, verses 2 through 4. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now... The dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Come on, you got to remember, 1 Kings 5 speaks about a day like this that would happen. It shadowed something that is going to happen on the whole earth, but it hasn't happened yet. There is still an awful lot of crying, mourning, pain, and violence out there. Because he has not yet tried out the wine press. This is clearly why the apostles in Acts saw us as in the days of David's times. We are in a time frame of transition where we are taking captives from those nations that are building blocks for the temple of God on earth. Who's got verse 9 of Revelation 21? Then the one... Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as the stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at the 12 gates, 12 angels. And the names were written on them, which were the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The description that we're hearing in Revelation 21 is of a bride. It's of a city. The text says so. The larger context of the Bible is that it's the habitation of God. It's the temple completed. We're going to hint at something here that we're not going to teach tonight because we want you to come back next week. The hint is that what is perishable puts on the imperishable. That the tent is swallowed by a building. Something about what is Moses' tabernacle gets swallowed up into the temple of Solomon. In other words, it's Corinthians 15's ultimate victory. When death is swallowed up by immortality. It is a tabernacle swallowed by a temple. 2 Corinthians 5 calls your body a tent and says it's going to put on a building from God. There is a reason that Paul used that exact wording. He understood this pattern. He knew where we were at and he knew the unconditional promise of God to David. Amen. And that Jesus was faithful both as David and the son of David. He would complete this process not just for the believer, but for the entire world in Revelation 21. 
If you would like to hear more about that, then you need to come back Monday. Oh, yeah. Let's pick up in verse 8. So now I charge you in sight of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord our God that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion. Say wholehearted devotion. And with a willing mind. Say willing mind. Willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive. Say every motive. Every motive. Behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong. Be strong. Be strong. strong. And do the work. Look, consider that the Lord chose Solomon to build a temple as a sanctuary. You know, the whole human race was chosen to solve a problem. That's in Genesis 3 and Hebrews 2. Out of the whole human race, the nation of Israel was chosen to be the one nation to be Yahweh's Tzavaot. That is Genesis 22. Out of the whole nation of Israel, the tribe of Judah was chosen. That's Genesis 49. Out of the whole tribe of Judah, the Davidic family was chosen. That's 2 Samuel 7. And out of all of David's family, he said he had many sons. Solomon was chosen. And we see that in this chapter in 1 Chronicles 28. Look, I want to show you. Solomon was chosen out of all of the human race. It funneled right down to Solomon to build this temple. And this is the charge that David gave to his son. He said, sir, with wholehearted devotion. Say wholehearted devotion. devotion. That means all. All heart. All means what? All. All. Serve with all your heart wholehearted devotion with a willing mind every motive behind the thoughts the Lord understands and sees then he told him to be strong and do the work everybody say be strong be strong, strong. and do the work do the this work. brings up such an important question with that kind of charge with that kind of election with that kind of choosing with such an important task why did Solomon fail? Chosen people still have to prove faithful. Your discipleship, it's everything. Failure ceases to be fatal when you continue in your discipleship. If last week wasn't good, praise God, you're still being discipled because there's still next week. Solomon acquired horses, wives, and wealth. Three things that Deuteronomy forbid a king to do, and he was supposed to carry a copy of that law on him at all times. He forsook the law. Saints, you have been chosen as sun soldiers in Yahweh Sabaoth's army. Now that you have this honor, what will you do with it? Not every tribe in Israel produced even one commander, and not everyone who is chosen makes it to their high calling. It depends on how you handle circumstances exactly like the ones we're in. We would like to show you at least one reason that David succeeded where his son did not. Would you like to hear it? Let's pick up in verse 11.
He gave them the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms, for the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries of the dedicated things. Briefly, I want to remind you, the treasuries of the temple of God and the treasuries of the dedicated things. You remember that represents from last week. This is war spoils as well as things stored in the temple. We've talked about this before. This is a translation done by A.J. Rosenberg with commentary from Rashi off to the side. And he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? Saints, who's asking that question? Saul. Saul. Well, David has been on the run in a desert constantly, in a place of hardship and evil, at times even driven from the actual geographical soil of Israel. And one said, Behold, and Naoth and Ramah, they were engaged in the building of the world. That refers to the temple. In the Israeli mind, in the biblical mind, to build the world is centralized around God's temple. And he taught him at that time what a faithful student cannot learn in many years. Saints, what you need for the days ahead, what your sons need for the days ahead, is only found in discipleship through adversity. You don't actually get real discipleship when your life is not hard. Discipleship means something to you when your life is hard. It is the agent, it is the catalyst to it actually showing up in you. There's a couple of scriptures that we'll read to you and throw on the screen. First Chronicles 9, 22. Altogether, those chosen to be gatekeepers. Justin taught you the other night what a gatekeepers represent on the earth. They're a reflection of things in the heavens like cherub that are meant to guard the very presence of God. At the thresholds, number 212, they were registered by genealogy in their villages. The gatekeepers had been assigned to their positions of trust by David and Samuel the seer. Saints, how did they know where to put the gatekeepers? Because they saw the gatekeepers in the heavens. And they were ordering God's people on earth to reflect the heavens. David had an incredible revelation, but he did not get it in a vacuum. He was discipled by Samuel, and he chose to live up to God's choice. And we all agree that David was a brave and mighty man, right? Yes. The truth is, he succeeded in discipleship by Samuel where Saul failed. Saul would not be discipled by Samuel, and that's why David lived up to God's choice in choosing David. Who discipled Solomon? You might be tempted to say David, but David died. Yeah. While David was alive, Samuel did, or Solomon did very well. It was afterwards when he was the top of his own world. Friends, you should never be the top of your own world. That's always a problem. Yeah. If you think you are now, you're in trouble. First Samuel 19, 18 through 22. I want to read this to you. When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. The word came to Saul. David is in Naoth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men, and they also prophesied. Saul was told about it, and he sent more men, and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time, and they also prophesied. Finally, he himself left for Ramah and went to the great cistern at Seku, and he asked, Where are Samuel and David? Look, Samuel was a prophet and a Levite who also trained other prophets. David spent time there with Samuel in discipleship so that God's choice was not wasted. God chose David out of all of the people of Judah. And he introduced discipleship into his life 
so that his choice was not wasted. Let me ask you something. Has God chosen you in this room? Yes. yes. God will make sure that his choice is not wasted by sending discipleship in your life. Look, David did something else, something we are trying to do with you. We want to notice a particular verse, and that's verse 19. So if we can have Linton read verse 13 all the way to 19. Let's do something before we read that. We're at two hours, and we're also at our closing. And if you miss this part, then you will have missed what we are actually aiming at. So go ahead and stand up for a minute. Stretch, stretch your hands up to the heavens. Hallelujah. Father, we're asking you again for healing in the body of Christ. Lord, we're asking for your son's soldiers to be strengthened. Lord, that we might carry heavenly bread from this room to our brothers. Lord, raise up your army. Raise up your army. Raise up your army. Amen. Let's pick up in verse 13. I have where? In writing. From the hand of the Lord upon me. And he gave me understanding in all the details of the plan. David was not only dedicated to his discipleship, he was dedicated to record the things that he learned. How many things have you heard from the heavens? How many things have been delivered to you that you cannot recall? That's why God let man invent a pen. And in his greatness... He gave us the ability to take notes even electronically. Thank you, Jesus. We're supposed to leave a legacy to our children. We're supposed to advance them. David knew from God's spirit in him and the discipleship he was receiving the weight of things in the temple. And he wrote it down. He wrote it down so that others could follow it and they would not have to retread the ground of previous generations. How would you like to know what our fathers, 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 fathers had heard from God? Oh, yeah. We have that responsibility. That is, mama and daddy, what your time with your children is for. Consider Deuteronomy 27, 6. Build the altar of the Lord your God with field stones and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Sacrifice fellowship offerings there, eating them and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord your God. And you shall write very clearly all the words of the law on the stones I have set up for you. It wasn't enough for these people to have interactions with God. 
They were to write them clearly for the future generations. There are things that your life is displaying for your children, but there are also things that you should write down for all future generations to learn from. How blessed have you been to read a prophecy that Charlie and Joe wrote down in 1993 about the days we're living in now. Amen. I love Charlie, but if he hadn't written it down, how clearly do you think that he could recall it to you now? He took the time to write down something that God took the time to tell him. Do you know why? Because he's a soldier, and he knew his job was to raise up other soldiers. This is his family's legacy. There will be a day when a son like Caleb will stand and point to a plot of earth and say, my father will come out of the ground here. But he left us instruction. The family of God is to be like a fiery arm reaching out to the nations. He'll be able to read his words. He'll be able to tell him what his father said. How important do you think that will be to Henry? This is the legacy that we leave to son soldiers. How about Habakkuk 2.2? Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so a herald may run with it. Our battles and the methods by which God delivers us, they must become inspiration for our sons who will be soldiers in the times to come. Do you really think they will not face a coronavirus? You want to be able to tell them when everybody else hid, I stood because I trust my God. And that is the stock you are from. And when the world around you fades, you stand because that's who you are raised to be. How about Daniel 12.4 just to get a writings in there? there But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. He didn't just seal it. He put it in a time capsule. And you're reading it now. How encouraging is that? Moses, David, Habakkuk, and Daniel, they all transferred something to the generations to come. You will not write the holy canon. You can't do that. But you will provide war instruction to those coming after you, and they will use it as a different kind of holy canon. It'll be a canon in their hands. It'll be a gift from their fathers. When B.B. Stevens is born, nine months from now, he should see that he is sired from a heavenly line, one that trusts its God and does not calculate its strength by what our talents are, but by trusting the Lord. This is why you learn Family Banner. This is why you learn Mezuzah. This is why you write down the things that you're learning. They're not for you alone. They're for the generations coming after you. It also requires a level of discipline in you that shows the seriousness of a soldier that is raising soldiers. We are not passive recipients that sit and learn. You are here to transfer what you've learned to the generations coming after you. Can we uh, read a couple passages and hand out some scriptures? Judah, take it. Amen. Lintonius, will you pick up with 20 through 21 for us? David also said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and courageous, and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord, God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you 
until all the work reserved to the temple of the Lord is finished. The divisions of the priests and Levites are ready for all the work on the temple of God. Amen. And every willing man. What kind of man? Willing. Skilled in any craft. What kind of man? Skilled. Will help you in all the work. The officials and all the people will obey your every command. Yeah. His divisions are made of willing and skilled. I want to tell you that the place to becoming skilled, we've already stated it, starting with being willing, with desiring, longing for the opportunity to do something for your God. Yeah. You ready for a few scriptures? Yes. yes. Exodus 36, 2 through 3. Actually, just verse 2. Brandon. Isaiah 1, 19. Paul. 2 Peter 1, 10 through 11. Gabe. We'll hold on to the rest of them and decide what we want to do with them. Oh, I think we're going to close here. Whenever you get Exodus 36, start to read, Brandon. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiah and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. Saints, that's good. The temple of God on earth. Consider that you have been chosen to participate in building the kingdom to come. Like living stones is what Peter said. Bezalel and Eliab were willing. They were men who were ready and wanted to do the work. And they also had to perfect their craft. They had to get good at overcoming fear. They had to get good at living a life of faith. Saints, the number of areas that you don't know, you don't recognize, that you're living in fear and making decisions out of a natural instinct. But every day that your heart is longing to do something for the Lord and you're actively being discipled through adversity, he will make you increasingly skillful at building the kingdom yes. of God. Amen. Isaiah 119. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. Man, that's good news. Yeah. You see, everything, I can tell you from experience, everything that God's done in my life is not because I've been very skilled at what he called <laughs> me to do. Everything that God has called me to do has required more skill than I, I had at the time. Every step of my life, <laughs> Depended on me being willing and obedient. Amen. All I was is I just showed up willing. I was willing to take upon myself the things that other people were not willing to do. All I was was simply obedient. I, I just heard God say it and I said, I will do it even though I don't understand how to do it. Start walking. And I can tell you from experience, God made me more skillful along the way. This comes with a promise tonight, church. If you're just willing and obedient, you will eat the fruit of the land. Any of you been discouraged lately that you might not eat the fruit and the best of the land? You can't smell it and you can't taste it. <laughs> I certainly can't. It is a promise that you will eat of the best and the fruit that God has for you if you are just simply willing and obedient. He will give you that because you become skillful along the way as you do what he says. Gabriel, read Second Peter 1, 10 through 11. Therefore, my brothers... Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yahweh Sabaoth wants you to be willing and obedient. He will add skills to your life. To be Gentiles. The only qualification you have is that you're a human being. 
You don't meet the national qualification. You don't meet the tribal qualification. You don't meet the family qualification. And you sure were not the favored son that was chosen. You were a mysterious graft in. How much more do you think you need to make your calling and election sure? It's done in difficult times. The reason that you love Ittai the Gittite is because he didn't have to endure the hardship. He chose to. And that choice makes him chosen along with God's people. Come on. Friends, we cannot claim their election if we do not participate in their suffering. I have chosen, come hell or high water, in health or in sickness, in riches or in poverty, to do the will of the king of Israel. Come on. And all the military might of Yahweh Sabaoth backs my every movement because it's being directed by him. This is the confidence that is ours in Christ. There is not a coronavirus hotspot that I have not been in this year during the hotspot other than Wuhan. (laughs) You have nothing to fear. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus told the parable in Matthew 21. One son said, I will go and I will do it. And he did not. Another son was disobedient, but changed his mind and made his election sure. Jesus wasn't the only one that said it, saw it, or proclaimed it. Even out of the mouths of the enemy. They acknowledged he did the will of the Father, the Son who repented and did God's will. Our hope tonight is that you make the calling and election on your life sure. And that's done in trial. That's done when you faint but go to the next meeting. That's done when it costs your job. That's done when your spouse thinks you're insane, but you would rather trust Yahweh than in your own ability to hold a marriage together. That is done when all you care about is pleasing your commanding officer. Would you stand to your feet? Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you. Tell me that it's about your talents. Tell me that it's about your abilities. The only thing that matters is that you hear the call of God and you obey it regardless of the adversity. Look, 
You have very few times in your life to show yourself a hero. But you get to prove every day that you're not a coward by trusting in your God like a soldier obeys the commands of God. That is before us now. Of course we're in a state that is a target and a hot spot. Of course, among those in our state, we are a target and a hot spot. We're in the king's highway. We're attacked. Fight. Win. And if a brother next to you is losing, have enough faith to fight for him too. You might need him next month. This is an opportunity for us to shine. For all the churches in the one association, this is the church that I don't just want to shine. I expect it Mm -hmm. to shine. God has given us more, and more is required of us. This is our moment. If a few of us die, then we die. But I bet not only will we not die, we will keep others from doing it as well. Would you lift your holy hands towards heaven?